How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you for continuing to listen. If this is your first time, do me a favor, make sure that you subscribe on whatever platform it is that you're listening on. And also leave a quick comment. Tell me where you're listening from. My guest today is an author. He wrote a book called Sovereignty, The Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Men. And he has a podcast called The Order of Man. And he's been very outspoken and somebody who I've been tuning into more and more uh, because I think we do have a growing problem uh, with an attack on masculinity. And my guest and I talk a lot about this. You know, he shares his philosophies, uh, what he feels constitutes being a man, how to be masculine, how to be manly, and some of the pitfalls of that in current day society. He challenged me on a couple of things, and I appreciate that. And uh, he's got me thinking about a, a number of different things. I think you're going to enjoy this episode a lot, and uh, I hope you share it with anybody else that you think will enjoy it as well. Give it up for my guest, Ryan Mickler. But before we enjoy this episode, a huge shout out to our sponsor of every episode of this podcast, Action, Specialty Roast Coffee and Natural Supplements. If you haven't gone to drinkaction.com yet, and that's action with a K, and used code word curious to save 15%, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. Make sure you go to the website, pick out one of your favorite specialty roast coffees, whether you drink it out of a K-cup or you're a whole bean or you need it ground up already for you, we've got it covered. Dark roast to light roast and even a specialty roast with Anthony Rumble Johnson, who, by the way, is about ready to make his long-awaited debut back into Bellator with a fight against Yoel Romero. Go check out his coffee. It's called Rumble Time. If you want turmeric and CBD, MCTs, and even a special mushroom blend coffee for immunity and endurance coming soon, go to drinkaction.com, code curious, save 15%, and enjoy this episode. Ryan, thank you again, man. I, I do appreciate it a ton. And, you know, I think this is a big one for me. I've been following your message for about a year and a half now, a um, little bit more and more intently as the world has gone around its turns here the last few <laughs> yeah. months. Um, yeah. I think for anybody who doesn't know who you are, um, I think it'd probably be good for you to you know, give a little bit of background on your podcast, Order of Man. I know you're an author as well. You wrote a great book called Sovereignty. Yeah, and you. your message hits on what I think is a serious problem and a growing problem in society in general. And I think one that if you look at other countries and you even look at troubled parts of our own country, there's a commonality and it's the, the lack of masculinity, the lack of maybe father figures, examples um, that I think are centerpiece to a functioning society in the way that we know it. And so I commend you yeah. uh, and you know certainly would love to understand what inspired you to go down this road. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could tell you I had noble intentions, and and I guess I did. They weren't they weren't unnoble <laughs> intentions, but I, I I really started the podcast with the goal to have conversations with men that I was inspired by. Uh, I've I've never professed to be the epitome of masculinity or or assumed to to 
that I know everything about what it means to be a man. I'm on the journey myself. You know, I, I've got four kids. I've been married for, it'll be 17 years this year. I've got a couple of different businesses that I run and I have my fair share of struggles. And so I thought if I start this podcast, this will be an opportunity for me to have conversations with high caliber men. And at the time they had no good reason to be able to have a conversation with me. So I thought, well, I'll just publish this and make this available to, to, to whoever wanted to listen. And I thought it'd be four or five people. <laughs> and uh, from, from the minute that we hit publish on our first episode, man, it blew up. It just took off and, and showed me very quickly that the message of masculinity and reclaiming and restoring what it means to be a man and us striving to become more capable and more proficient was a message that millions and millions of men across the planet wanted to hear. So, yeah, I mean, I may have started the movement, but in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm being called or compelled or led by the desire to step up as a man myself and to help other men do the exact same thing. Yeah, no, I can relate to that. I mean, it's the reason why I'm doing this selfishly. I kind of told myself early on, if nobody ever listens to this, I've got an opportunity to connect with people in a day and age where I think it's missing. You know, it's like we've got all these great tools and the the pandemic kind of pushed it this way a little bit more because of the inability to connect face to face, at least, you know, over the last year. But for me, it was selfish. And it's been really interesting to see to see and hear on a much smaller scale than what you're, I'm sure, experiencing right now, the impact that other people's conversations have had. You know, I, I was lucky enough to have Tim Kennedy on. I've had Evan Britton on a few times. And I'm, I myself, although it's not specific, um, you know, to masculinity and really kind of what it takes to be a man topics, I explore all kinds of interesting shit. But um, it's been those that I feel like I get the loudest signal back. And it's interesting, because it's, if you listen to conventional media, there's no room in society for that. And it's just like, it doesn't make sense when you actually see how much people are craving it. Yeah, I agree. I think with the advent of social media and our, our short attention spans and how quickly we become distracted and we're chasing the next bright and shiny object, uh, I, I think most of the platforms, when it comes to consumption of information, are all done in quick snippets and sound bites. And there's, there's value to that, except the problem is at least this is for me, is that I at one point was consuming so much information that I wasn't applying any of it. I felt like just consuming information in and of itself was valuable. And it's not. It's just part of the equation. You actually have to apply it. And so my friend Andy Frasilla, he calls it, if I remember correctly, he calls it a, an information zombie or a knowledge zombie, something like that where you just go out there and you're just craving knowledge and information and you're just gathering, 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 and then you never apply any of it. So in a lot of ways, access to information, whether it's books or audiobooks or podcasts, social media, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Parler, YouTube, Gab, all these other little places that we're supposed to go are just competing for our attention, which actually detracts from what we actually should be doing which is serving, leading, communicating face-to-face -face and one-to-one -one with people. That could be our kids or our wife or our, our husband or an employee or a neighbor. We just don't have the time because we're consuming ourselves with this type of information. And so it's a bit of an ironic thing to say that maybe people ought to shut some of this stuff off, even if it's this podcast, which is actually detracting mm -hmm. 
from you going and being a better human being, which is action, not just uh, acquisition of information. That's really interesting. Do you think that it's the paralysis by analysis that just there's so much coming in and so much distraction? No, I don't even, that- no, no, I don't even think it's that. I mean, that could certainly be a factor. I think people are sedating themselves with information. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're paralyzed. It's that they're using it as a convenient excuse not to act. Oh, I just read this book from, you know, for whoever, uh, James Clear or Jordan Peterson or, you know, pick a book. I just read a book, so I'm doing something. No, you just read a book. That's literally all that you did. Anybody can read a book. What did you actually learn? What did you apply? How did you make somebody's life better? But that requires effort. Like it's easy to sit down and read 10 pages. It's even easier to sit on your commute. Let's say you have a two hour commute on a daily basis or longer. It's easy to just mindlessly listen to some audiobook. I'm not saying it's wrong, by the way. It's, it's not wrong. It's, it's just easy. And, and so you'll hear people say, well, you know, that's when you, when you ask them to act, like go out and work out or, or, or learn how to make more money or ask for a promotion or ask somebody on a date or whatever, what, go, go to jujitsu, go lift weights, pick up a new hobby. And people say, well, that's easier said than done. No shit. You know, like talking is always easier or listening is always easier than going to work. And so I don't know if it's so much paralysis by analysis or, hey, let me just get drunk on information so I don't actually have to go out and do anything in my life, but I can tell people that I read 50 books this year. And then we score those virtue points as opposed to actually moving the needle in our finances or our fitness or our faith or relationships or whatever facet of life that we're engaged in or, or pretend to care about. Well, and it's, it's got a bigger impact too than just on the individual because those ideas, if put out into the public forum, they get debated, they get pressure tested. The ones that are good continue to move on. They permeate through other people's ability to then put that into action for their own lives. But by, to your point, by not taking it and putting it to action, you're, you're robbing yourself of the benefit, but you're also robbing society. Of- I mean, for, let's forget about society for a second. Just you're robbing your, your, your wife or your husband. You're robbing your seven-year-old kid. You're robbing your, the, the, the person that you just hired that could actually be inspired and motivated and benefited by what you're doing. It's like you're not robbing society. My, it's funny. My wife and I were talking about this because we were talking about um, – stimulus bills being passed. And, you know, we've got this $1.9 trillion stimulus package, stimulus package that's being passed. Uh, It's hard to fathom what $1.9 trillion is. Like, How could anybody even fathom how much money that actually is? And it's the same thing when we say things, and I say it too, and I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers at you, but we use these terms like, let's go save society. It's like, it's hard to fathom what that actually is. Why not just Worry about being a better, being better connected with your children or serving, you know, just going and, and mowing your neighbor's lawn because they're, they're hung up or they're dealing with a medical illness or condition mm-hmm. or really pouring your heart and soul and energy into the person that you just hired. And if you do that enough and you encourage other people then to pay it forward, then yes, society at large is benefited, but let's focus on the individual. Like let's stop focusing on, the collective and start focusing on the human beings right in front of our noses that we could actually serve. If we put the damn phone down for a minute, held the door for someone held the door exactly. Or smiled 
uh, or told your wife, Hey, you look really nice. Or those jeans look really great on you. You know, like we overlook those little things, but if we compound enough of those little actions, like holding the door or complimenting your wife or even a stranger or reaching out and using this device for good and saying, Hey, you know what, Justin, um, thanks again for having me on the show. Uh, really great conversation. Thanks for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. I mean, how well, that would take me 10 seconds. And how far would that actually go when it comes to impacting you for the better significantly more than me yapping about whatever I can on a podcast or reading an audio book or any of these other things that we get attached to. And it's hard because I'm not saying they're wrong. It's, it's not wrong. It's you just don't want to be an information junkie. And I make the distinction between information or, or I should say knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is a consuming the information. I, I know right? I know what two plus two is. I know American history. I know how to play the guitar because I see the guitars up behind you. I know wisdom is applying it. So I might know the chords. I might say, well, that's a C or that's a G minor or whatever. But then if you ask me to actually get on the guitar, like I'd have no idea how to do that. That is wisdom. It's the application of knowledge. And I think we should be striving more for wisdom than just knowledge in and of itself. Do you think that that's fueled at all back to the social media where there's just in society, there's no value put on those individual actions and that the, the value in society's terms is more on that. How do I impact something bigger through intellectual thought as opposed to through action and doing what you can do on an individual basis? It's, it's a ruse. We do it to ourselves though. Like we do, we delude ourselves into thinking that we're actually moving the needle, you know, like, it feels good to read a book. You feel proud of that. And you should, that there's value in that. So you read a book and you're like, I'm better. Well, are you, are you really better? Like what, what did you learn? I don't know. I don't remember any of it. What did you apply? I don't know. I, I just kind of skimmed over it as quickly as I could. So I could check it off the list, you know? So I, I think we're, we're fooling ourselves as I think what we're actually doing mm -hmm. because it's, again, it's easier right? It's easier to say, I read a book or I listened to a podcast uh, or uh, I learned about something than to say, I actually went out and did it. And it also poses less risk too, because it's less risky to read a book than it is to apply what you learned. It's less risky to learn about human dynamics than it is to go out and actually interact with human beings where you face risk and ridicule and rejection. There's no and pushback from the book. There's none. There's none whatsoever. It's, it's less risky to read a book or gain some information or knowledge or watch a video on physical fitness than it is to actually go to the gym and put 300 pounds on a bar and try to lift it off the ground. It's, that's more risky. So we don't want to do that. And, and we can get into why we don't want to do that because there are very specific reasons why. We don't want to do that. And so... We, but we also don't want to tell ourselves we're inadequate. So we say, well, this is just as good. Yeah, no, and I, I'd be curious to the whys from your perspective. The reason I keep going back to like society in general and cut, I grew up in a very small Northwestern Pennsylvania town, like mm -hmm. very, you know, 8,000 people possibly next closest town was, you know, 30, 40 miles away. And those types of attributes for the most part were, celebrated by individuals all of because you knew your neighbors you knew everybody there was a intimacy amongst 
everybody that you saw at the grocery store or that you saw at church or at school, you know, your mom went to school with your teacher. And now that I've moved away, I've lived in big cities. I've kind of settled down in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, still larger area than where I was. And there's less of that because you're not going to see the guy who you held the door for at the convenience store. You're not going to, you know, run into your teacher or your colleague at work because there's just too many people. And I've always thought about that and certainly not as it's the entire problem, but it fuels the problem when you have that, you know, ability to be like, well, I'm never going to see him again. What's it matter? Right. Yeah. I mean, so we have been programmed to, well, I don't know. Yes. Part of it is programming, but part of it is just the hardwiring of, of, of our biology and our makeup to want to be acknowledged and rewarded for the things that we do. So if you like, we have these things called humble brags, right? Where you do something kind or nice or respectful for somebody else. And then you brag about it on social media. Okay. So it doesn't diminish what you did. I think what you did is still valuable. Sure. But why did you do it? What was the motive? Was the motive because it was the right thing to do? Or was the motive because it was self-serving and somehow you'd score some virtue points. And I'm guilty of it too. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with, and go back to reading. Did you read because you wanted to learn the information or because you wanted to post about how many books you read in 2021? What, what was the actual motive? And I think we ought to ask ourselves, when's the last time we did something because it was intrinsically valuable, meaning we just enjoyed it. We were just present in the moment. We did it not for accolades, not for recognition, not for the clever social media pick or caption, but that we just did it. Like, again, I go back to your guitars. I see the guitars in the background. Like when's the last time you sat down and you just played the guitar, you didn't do a recital, you didn't post it, you didn't talk about how incredible these guitars are, you just played because there's value in just playing. Yeah, about 20 minutes before you popped on. (laughs) And that's great. That's what we should be doing. And our lives would be so much more enriched if we did that. If we played the guitar or we painted a picture or... And I, get, I see a football, you went out with your friends and you just, or your son, and you just played catch, not to post about how great of a, a father you were, but just because I want to be here with my son and I want to play catch with him. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think we just need to get back to that. And it's a hard line to walk because especially from, from your perspective and mine as well, part of my job is putting this information out online so that people will be inspired. I do want to inspire people. And I do want them to see the things that I'm doing well and the things that I'm not doing so well. So they will be inspired to improve their own lives. So there is a fine line between attempting to inspire and motivate others and then just doing it solely because you'll get some sort of notoriety or accolades that come with the activity. It strips away all of the richness of our lives when we're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, no, that's the conundrum that I battle with constantly. You know, it's like I'm ultra aware of people's perception and, you know, I try to block it out as much as possible, but I'm always asking myself that question. Why am I, why am I sharing this? You know, do I, and as I'm growing and getting more people who do respond and, and provide feedback, it helps, right? Because then you start to understand that it's impacting on an individual basis for people. But the early starts of this, you know, I had to basically just tell myself I'm doing it selfishly for myself to be able to talk to interesting people, ask questions that I'm intrigued by. To your point, how do I continue my own journey to become a better person? And a big part of it is children, right? So you're a father, 
for me, I didn't realize how selfish of a person that I was until I had kids. And, you know, I had my first son 18 months ago. Uh, My wife and I just found out we're expecting, thank you. We're expecting our second child here in August. So it instantly made me realize like, okay, what's super important in my life. And then it secondarily made me realize like, why am I doing these things? And to your point, like, I know I've been so intrigued by the project of building this canoe with Mm. your son and, you know, the lessons, the actual tactical, you know, and functional lessons that you're learning about how to build something are invaluable. But you mentioned the time that you get to spend with him and the conversations that you get to have that you otherwise wouldn't because you're spending this quality time together. And I think that to me, I, I kind of wanted to get into that because that was my selfish reason for wanting to talk with you because being a father in today's world makes this whole conversation of masculinity that much more important. Yeah. I mean, even to just go back to the canoe, I've had a lot of people will say things like, Oh, are you going to post a video about how you made it? And are you going to document it and all this stuff? And like, I get it. You know, I take pictures and I talk about it here and there and I bring it up on the podcast. Cause I, I want people to be motivated by it. Maybe they wanted to do something like that and they never did. And and because they happen to see one of my posts, they feel like they didn't need it, but they feel like they have some sort of permission to do it for themselves. Like it can be inspiring, but at the same time, no, I'm not going to post the how-to video and document the entire thing and create a bunch of content around it because that diminishes the, the motive for doing it, which is to be available and present with my son. If I'm constantly saying, Hey bud, like set this video camera up and take a picture of me doing this. It's like, it completely detracts from what we're trying to do. So it's a fine line. It is a fine line. And anybody who's wanted to be in the public space, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to impact a bunch of people, as many people as possible for the right reasons in a, in a positive way. Uh, you just have to balance it out with being being present for the individuals, not the collective, but the individuals who really will be impacted by the decisions and the things that you're, you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you've been doing the podcast now for what, over two years? Oh no, I've, I've been podcasting for six years, six years. Okay. Wow. I'm I'm really late to the game. I've, I follow back to like mid 2019. I thought you were doing it a little bit before. Oh yeah. No, I started in March of 2015. So I, I think in the next I don't know, a couple of days, we're on our six year anniversary. So we've done over 700 podcasts at this point. And yeah, it's, it's, we've been going on for a little while. So without asking you, you know, who the most impactful person you've spoken with has been, I'm sure there's been countless. I looked through, you know, a number of them. What is, if there is a common theme or thread between all these very successful men, that characteristic that they hold that you think is been pivotal in them being the person that they are responsibility i mean these are individuals who don't blame their circumstances positively positively negatively or anywhere in between on anybody or any other factor it it rests solely on their shoulders which is a real weight for a lot of these guys you know um david goggins is a perfect example had the opportunity to sit down with him and talk with him face to face and he'd be the first to tell you it's, and he told me it's not easy. He said, it's not easy to be Goggins. It's not, it's not easy to be that guy because he doesn't blame his life on anybody else. Andy Priscilla, another one, a lot of, a lot of people familiar with him. He doesn't blame his circumstances on anybody else, but the amount of 
weight that he is capable of shouldering, and I'm talking figuratively and literally too, he's a big yeah. guy, um, is something that would crush most of us because most of us aren't willing to get under the bar, again, literally or figuratively. You know, we blame it all. It's the president. It's the economy. My wife's a bitch. My husband's an asshole. My boss is a jerk. My this is that. Okay. Well, you know, maybe some of that is actually true. And so you think you're the first person to have a boss who's a jerk? You, you, you think you're the first person to, to have a president that you don't agree with his policy and you think that's the reason you're struggling? You think you're the first person that had to deal with having a, a Burger King right across from their office space, which I did at one point and I blame Burger King for getting 50 pounds overweight. Like, do I honestly, do I think I'm the first person who had ever had to deal with that or, or that no other person has any, ever been able to overcome any of those things? <laughs> like, that's ridiculous, you know, but it's really easy to do that. But the overarching theme that my guests have is that all of them take ownership and responsibility of their lives. And when they mess up, they don't, they don't wash it away. They don't justify it. They don't make excuses. They don't recite clever little catchphrases like failure is learning or fear is false evidence appearing real or like, no, this is, this is it. Like I failed or I'm afraid. And they called it like it was. And then they created a solution to deal with it. And they're all better off for it, which is why they're performing to the level that they're performing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's scary when you put it that way, because that is the, like the exact opposite of how society is right now. Nobody wants to take accountability for anything. Everybody wants to pass the buck. Right. And there's almost currency in being a part of the victim train, you know? Not almost. There 100% is. <laughs> Whether it's job opportunities or social media accolades or the notoriety or their five minutes of fame, like it is a, there is a genuine currency available to those who want to be victims which is why there's so many perceived victims. For me, it's, it's not about trying to deliver what these platforms want to hear. People who want to listen to me are going to listen to me. If they don't want right. to listen to me, they don't have to listen to me. And if Instagram doesn't want others to hear me, well, then I guess I'm going to have to find a new pathway to have my message be told. But it was astonishing that how many people were petrified of being wrong, being targeted, and that their whole worth was really tied to these platforms and what the collective, you know, 500 other people in the room thought about them. And yeah, I mean, it's pretty pathetic to be somebody different than you actually are because you're for any reason, because you're trying to gain accolades or game the system. That's weakness. That's, that's cowardice. I'm not interested in being somebody that somebody else dictates. You know, I had a guy who said something on Instagram the other day that he was disappointed that I was posting something. I can't even remember what it was. And I wrote back and I'm like, look, dude, my, my job isn't to pander to you. Like I, I could, I could not care less about you as an individual, whether you approve of what I'm saying or not. And that's actually a lot of the reason people follow along hmm. because they appreciate the fact that I say what I mean. I mean what I say I'm not going to waffle. I'm not going to pander. I'm not going to say things I don't believe in or agree with. I, I don't do that. And everybody needs to do that because if more people did that, than just pandered and rolled over and the, the world would be a better place. It would be harder. 
because you would have to face a lot of uncomfortable conversations that way. And that's part of the problem is that nobody is equipped. Shouldn't say nobody. Fewer and fewer people are equipped to deal with awkward and uncomfortable and difficult situations, even, even conflicting ideas. People, people feel a need to be offended about everything. It's like, you don't need to be offended. The, the latest one I heard was something about, I don't know, Dove soap had the word normal skin on one of their soap bars. And people were putting up a stink because they felt slighted because they didn't have quote unquote normal skin. I'm like, how weak and pathetic do you need to be? How e and here's an, here's an interesting question. How easy does your life have to be if that's what you consider offensive or some sort of persecution? You weak, cowardly people. Like grow well, some it, grow some skin, grow some balls, toughen up. It defies all logic too, because the whole premise behind being progressive in that sense is that you're always looking to move the bar further. But it's like if the tail is going to consume the head, it, I mean, what's, what's the point? I mean, there, there has to be a line that's drawn in the sand where like, I'm, I really don't care what anybody does. I put up something the other day. It was like, do whatever the fuck you want. Just don't hurt anybody. Right. That's your, that's your choice. Don't hurt other people. I wish everybody took action and, and tried to, you know, do their part, but don't hurt other people. Other than that, I mean, why am I going to care what Ryan's doing or why am I going to care what anybody is doing as long as they're not hurting me? You know. It's, well, I, I don't know if I fully agree with that because you'd have to define what hurt is, but you can take transgender rights, for example, and say, well, you know, that's not hurting anybody, but you'd be lying if you said it wasn't impacting people. Like, I don't, I don't want my children normalizing that. Sure. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a normal circumstance, a normal situation. And I don't want that information to become mainstream. And I don't want the school system to be teaching that and going against biological truths. Are they hurting me? No, I wouldn't say they're hurting me or my children. But yeah, it certainly impacts and makes a difference. So yeah, I think we should actually be having these conversations, regardless of if you felt hurt or not. But just because you're offended, or you feel slighted, or you don't agree with something doesn't mean that you have the right to shut somebody down. Uh, or dox them, uh, or or attack their income streams, or try to get them canceled. That's ridiculous. It's sure. cowardly. It's weak, and it's actually very destructive in in society. No, that's a really good. That's a I I appreciate that you use that example because I didn't think about it in that term because I'm very much the same way. I think there's even in the last ten years we've seen a big push towards social acceptance of things, and it's I think it's created a, a very slippery slope. Well, there's a difference between tolerance and acceptance and everybody lumps those two phrases together. Like we, we need to be tolerant and acceptant, uh, accept, uh, accepting. Well, I can tolerate a lot of things that I don't have to accept as, as normal. That I don't have to accept or embrace or even acknowledge or reward or like, I'm not obligated to the, I can tolerate it. Sure. But I'm not going to accept a lot of what society has deemed appropriate, normal, or something we should be talking about or the way we should be doing things. I'm not obligated to do that. No, I was, you literally took what was coming out of my mouth next was kind of how to, the difference between the two of those. And I was, I, I, was that something that you and Tim talked about when you had him? Tim Kennedy? Yeah. Uh, maybe. I don't remember if we did. Uh, it may have had something to do with that because Tim's in the process of, of establishing his own school. Mm -hmm. uh, so it maybe 
maybe had something to do with that. I don't know. Kip and I talked about that on our podcast a week or two ago as well. So it's probably, probably somewhere in there. Yeah. It, Cause it was that I, and I also, you know, you had mentioned something or maybe it was him around toxic masculinity and cause that mm. term gets used so loosely and yeah. probably more so to define what it is that you do as opposed to what I think real toxic masculinity would be, which, you know, beating your wife or intimidating a child or using the traits of masculinity to bully somebody um, as opposed to be proud of those things and put them into use in your life. But yeah, I don't, I mean, when I talked with Tim, he said he believes in toxic masculinity and I actually appreciated his perspective and I understand what he's saying. And I understand what you're saying too, uh, is using masculine traits and characteristics to put people down um, to bully, to intimidate, to coerce, to strong arm, that, that stuff shouldn't happen. But okay, so if there's toxic masculinity, why don't we hear about toxic femininity? You know, I know, I know women who are just as, who can be just as evil, if not more so as men and conniving and undercutting and backstabbing and vicious as men can. And the way they go about doing it may be incorrect or maybe different, but it's still the same outcome. But you don't hear about toxic femininity why not? So I don't, I don't use the term toxic masculinity because I think a lot of people are conflating masculinity with inherently being toxic. And a lot of people will say, no, 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 but nobody thinks that. No, no, nobody thinks that. Really? Go look at, I think it was either 2018 or 2019, the American Psychological Association in, in, in their study on men who deemed the masculine characteristics of aggression, dominance, and stoicism, and I believe it was competitiveness as well, as being inherently destructive and dangerous to young men. So you just got done telling, not you, but people get done telling you, nobody thinks all masculinity is toxic. And yet the, uh, the, the body, the organization that has the largest voice when it comes to how human beings are treated psychologically in this country and across the planet are now saying and suggesting that tox that masculinity is toxic in and of itself. It's ridiculous. It's ludicrous. So I don't use that term because words are powerful and everybody likes to conflate these terms. He's talked about it being spoken very loosely, but here's what I would say when it comes to the framework of men and masculinity. So at its foundational level, what it means to be a man is that you're biologically male. Even that, people are listening to this. I'm sure that, that they're going to be upset by that. But you, you, you can't be a man unless you're... Bi a man is a bio, at its most fundamental level, a biological male homo sapien. That's what a man is. Mm -hmm. Then we have masculinity, which is the traits and characteristics that are driven biologically, hormonally specifically, that we associate it with, with men. So yes, dominance, aggression, uh, competitiveness, stoicism, those are generally masculine traits. That does that's not, say, not to say that women can't exhibit those traits, they certainly can, but they're considered masculine traits. Then we have manliness. And being manly or manliness is the ability to take those masculine characteristics and hone them, shape them, utilize them towards productive and effective outcomes for yourself and for the people that you have a responsibility for. This is your family. This could even be strangers or people that are incapable of protecting and providing for themselves. That's what it means to be manly. So again, foundational level of a man, biological 
uh, male homo sapien masculinity, the set of characteristics driven hormonally that we define men by and manliness is the ability to hone and use those characteristics for productive outcomes for ourselves and others. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. So I've been trying to limp into this and figure out a way and you've given me a great answer every time. So it's made it difficult, which is enlightening for me because I think it's, it's actually giving me the answer that I'm looking for. But I've, I've met a lot of people who think that they're manly or masculine. And I would say underneath the, the covers of that, they're everything but. But they show an outward facade of what they consider to be masculine and they consider to be manly. And I'd be curious, I mean, do you run into that a lot because you're in this, this world, right? You've, you've got the other side where it's like the complete stiff arm. I'm not going to embrace any of these things. But then you have people who I would say want to, they want to identify as masculine and manly. And they feel like they are because of that outwards appearance. But well, let me give you an example. So there are masculine activities, yeah. competitive sports, for example, that's a masculine activity because we're competitive, we're dominant, we're physical in nature. That's generally a masculine activity. And you know what? Women who excel in competitive sports tend to be more masculine than their other female counterparts. Mm -hmm. Why would that be? Because that, that biologically, that's how it works. They, they are more masculine. And you know what? I know men who are more feminine. But by the way, neither make them less or more manly. Because I just told you, manliness is about harnessing and honing those characteristics into productive outcomes. So a man who's, you know, running around beating his chest, grunting and fighting and, uh, you know, driving a big truck and shooting guns, but isn't producing and can't, maybe he cheats on his wife and he's broke and he's fat as shit. That's not manly. Because he's not honing masculine characteristics for productive outcomes. It's unmanly, if anything. So yes, there are men who are more manly than others. And people say, no, no, no. All it takes is to just to be a man and have the, have the hardware. No, that, that makes you a male, sure. Mm -hmm. I just told you, that makes you a biological man, yes. But that doesn't make you manly. You want to be manly? Take those skills. Take those characteristics and direct them at something, produce something, protect somebody, add value to somebody's life. And if you're doing that, that's manly. But if you're just doing it to beat your chest and it comes at the expense of other people, I know guys who are hyper-masculine, who, who, who leave a wake of collateral damage in their path. Okay, so check, they're men, they're masculine, but they're not manly because they're not using it for productive outcomes for people. I appreciate you drawing that delineation because I do think that it gets, it gets muddled a lot of times, you know? Sure. Yeah. And, and I think that's why we talk it. And look, even those frameworks that I share with you, they're not perfect. It doesn't encapsulate every circumstance in every situation. And we know that because people will say, well, what about this scenario? It's like, yes, there are outliers. There are exceptions to what I'm saying. Sure. But generally I think if we can look for frameworks like this, and part of the reason we look for frameworks is so that we can make sense of the world that we live in. And I had somebody say uh, to me on Instagram as I spelled out this, this framework that I just talked about, uh, he said, well, no, nobody, 
any man that strives to be more manly isn't really being manly. You either have it or you don't. No, that's not correct. That's inaccurate. Because if that were the case, no boy would ever become a man. No male, adult male, who strived to improve himself would ever become more manly, would ever make more of himself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to your guitars just because that's the visual representation we have right there. Like, no, let's say you wanted to play in a band and you wanted to make it big and you wanted to write an album, perform and, and, and do concerts across the, the country and internationally. Nobody would ever call you a poser or say you're an idiot uh, or make fun of you for, try, for practicing. Like, so you're going to sit down, you're going to practice for an hour or two a day. Nobody would ever say, oh, you're wearing a mask or you're being a poser because you're practicing. If you were to take a football player and, and, and you have this young man who's got aspirational goals to play in the NFL, nobody would call him a, a poser or say you're wearing a mask because you're going to practice to try to improve. Nobody would ever say that. But then when it comes to masculinity, you hear that all the time. Oh, Ryan, you're just trying to be more manly. Like that's a mask. Bullshit. Yes, I am trying to be more manly. So I can be more valuable for myself, for my family, for the people who, who are banded with us, who could be served by what I say. Why does striving to be more manly, it, why is it considered fake? Why is it phony? Why do people think and, and use these terms like the mask of masculinity? No, I'm actually trying to get better and I'm using what I've been given. I believe in God, so I believe in creation, the, 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 the skill set, the tools and the hormones that I've been given by God. Why, why wouldn't I utilize those things? And by the way, if you don't believe in God and you're more of a, of a, of a evolutionist, then okay, well, you evolve those skill sets and those traits, like shame on you for not using, why wouldn't you use them to their fullest potential? But it doesn't make you a poser. It doesn't make you disingenuous to strive to become more of a man and alternatively to strive to become more of a woman. That's not or wrong. To, that's right. That's the right thing to do. Or to fail along the way. Yeah, True. Yeah. Trying, right? And I people think have some of- weird conceptions about failure and why it's all frowned upon and why they try to avoid it. But yeah, I mean, failure is okay. It's part of the deal. Yeah. And I think it can be slippery, you know, because it's like I always say, I learned everything that I've ever achieved has come from a collection of the things that I've failed at trying. But that again, you know, you can you can use that phrase in a way to give yourself an excuse to not be successful at doing the True. things that you want to do. And so that's always something I try to keep in mind. But you know, I, to be respectful of time, I know we're coming up on top of the hour. You know, so much has changed in the last year and a half with the pandemic, with political, you know, adjustments and everything that's kind of come along with that. Where do you see us five years from now? I mean, is are we on a, a path where this is going to get way, way more combative and where it's even more important to hold firm in your in your truths, as far as, you know, whether it's masculinity or anything else, or do you think that just the ebbs and flows and kind of the pendulum effect, so to speak, that within five or 10 years, this is going to push back really hard? I mean, I always think there's a pendulum, right? You get, you get from one extreme to the other extreme. And, and I think the best thing that we can do is limit out the highs and lows. Cause you're always going to have the ebbs and flows and the highs and the lows and the extremes on both sides. And what I think we should be striving to do as individuals is to round out some of those highs and lows. Like, I don't want to go so far this way. I don't want to go so far this way. I kind of want to just operate in here. And I actually think that's healthy. Like we have to have the give and the take and the push and the, 
because if, if we're not experimenting or testing with boundaries and, and the consequences of our actions, then like we're missing out on untapped potential that we could otherwise tap into to create better outcomes for ourselves. But I think what we do mostly as humans is we wait until something's catastrophic. You know, we wait until it's too far. The, spe- the pendulum has swung too far and there's very dire results. I mean, and I'm not speaking in hyperbole here. Millions, hundreds of millions of people over the course of human history have lost their lives because the pendulums have swung too far. That isn't hyperbole. That's fact. That's history. And I think that if we just allow things to go as they're going, that the pendulum will swing too far. But it, there's nowhere written that says it has to. We can course correct now. We don't have to wait until there's dire or tragic circumstances and situations. And I think we've got, in this country in particular, we've got a document that has actually allowed us to be able to not only live and enjoy the freedoms that we currently have, but will continue the freedoms that we currently enjoy. And that's the Constitution. That's the Bill of Rights. And we need to be able to defend those things and talk about those things and stand up for those things and uphold the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. And if we do, I believe that we'll actually stay on the right path. But if we don't, and we continue to overlook it, and we continue to deviate, and we continue to be arrogant and think that this time's different, we're better, then we're going to find ourselves in a bad situation. You know, people are going to be fed up with each other. I don't know if that leads to civil war. Uh, I do know it leads to death. We've already seen civil that. war. I don't know if it's famine. I don't know if it's conflict with uh, foreign countries, but it certainly leads to death. It leads to financial destitution. It leads to depression and suicide. It leads to addiction and drug and alcohol. Uh, It leads to fatherless homes. It leads to poverty rates. It leads to diminishing economic returns. We know what happens. Well, think of the, the, you just rattled off five or six impacts. Think of the collective toll that that's going to take on civilization compared to the collective toll of people getting sick from a virus. That's really yes. the aggregator of all of those said outcome. You know, it's, it, well, it I don't think it's mind. the aggregator necessarily. Well, maybe I guess I would need to understand what you're saying. It's, I don't think it's a result of, of the virus itself. I think it's a result of the response to the virus. And I believe that that's very calculated mm-hmm. in, in order to gain and seize power. That's, I mean, we could talk for hours and hours about that. But I think the response is very calculated, very intentional, very deliberate, and it's going to be hard to get people to, that have a little bit of power. You know that hall monitor in high school when you gave that kid just a little bit of power, how it went to his head? Never it's hard to give somebody that little bit of power and say, hey, um, you need to give that back now. You need to give that back. But it can be done. I mean, George Washington is a great example. He's somebody who could have been king of the, the country. And yet he relinquished that when he was done. He said, nope, I don't want it. I'm done. But there's, for every one of those individuals, there's an infinite number of individuals who said, give me a little bit of that power and got a little taste for it and will never, ever, ever relinquish it. You're right. The fear for me is that a guy like George Washington is all of a sudden somehow, and people like him, turned into the enemy. And I think when there are pillars that we should be looking back on, for example, that's to me, you know, when I hear the cancellation. And when we were on the whole monument teardown, it's like, okay, I I understand people's 
feelings, but there's a bigger problem here. And I think it goes right to that. If you, if you remove your idols, I heard it. I think the staying is like, shit now it's it's i fucking lost it it's about like sitting on the shoulders of giants you know Mm. if you're if you're a dwarf to be able to sit on the shoulders of giants people are laughing at this and i'm gonna get canceled just for talking about that but go look it up it's it's written much better than i just tried to explain but i think it speaks to that that it's very easy to criticize and judge people based on the quote-unquote morals and standards of today but you know oh yeah i mean our our grandchildren or our great grandchildren will look at us and they'll probably hear elements of even this conversation and be horrified by what it is we're talking about. Or maybe they'll see this, you know, this deer skull or this ram skull behind me and think, Oh my gosh, what a barbarian, you know? So yeah. So yeah, of course, but you you have to take it in context. And what I would say to the thing that you, you said earlier about um, somebody who might be good turning, turning out not to be good or virtuous or moral I think you ought to be more afraid of the wolf in sheep's clothing than the wolf who is clearly visible. You know, you know, that's the enemy. It's very clear. That's the enemy. And so you protect yourself and you put systems and strategies in place to ensure that you're safe. It's that's not the issue. The issue is the wolf in sheep's clothing that you don't recognize. So we all need to maintain vigilance. Um, And that's part of what I wrote in, in my book, which you alluded to earlier is ensuring that we maintain our sovereignty, our, over our health, our finances, our way of life, um, our career aspirations, our thoughts. It's critical and crucial that we maintain our sovereignty because if we do, then we can more easily recognize uh, these threats in the wolf and sheep's clothing that uh, inevitably pop up from time to time and then deal with it. That's great points, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for the opportunity, man. Great conversation. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, no, I, your, your insight is very unique and it's very much appreciated from my standpoint. And I've, I've taken a lot from it. Um, books on Amazon, right? Yeah. Amazon is the best place. Amazon or Barnes and Noble, wherever, you know, you, you, I know a lot of people right now, I've had a lot of people say, Hey, I want to get your book, but I don't want to get it on Amazon, which I can actually appreciate. But yeah, I think Barnes and Noble, there's a couple of other uh, booksellers online that you can order it from. So wherever you order books, you can, you can find it. And Order of Man podcast, you've got some big up. I saw Ethan Souple coming up. Yeah, yeah, he, he came on. Uh, we recorded a couple of weeks ago. Granger Smith, I recorded with a day or two ago. Uh, so yeah, we've got, some, we've got some powerhouses coming in. It's been an incredible path and there's a lot of insight to be shared from these guys. Well, I'll certainly be tuning in. It's one of my new favorite podcasts to listen to more and more each time. And, uh, you know, looking forward to everything that you're going to pump out in the future. Ryan, thank you again. Appreciate it a ton. And uh, good luck with 2021, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate the opportunity. Certainly.